0: Good morning, good morning. My name is Pastor Matt. It's a joy to walk with you this morning through Revelation chapter 5 verses 1 through 14. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to go ahead and go there. Uh, It's a joy also to be in our new space. Amen. Amen. Depending on how long you have been a part of Refuge, Renovation, Victory, Refuge City, uh, or just visiting, uh, it kind of determines how how long you've uh, maybe been hoping for a day that uh, we would have uh, kind of a permanent space, a, a building 24-7 as we've called it in other contexts. But let me be clear, 1500 Huffman Avenue is not the church. Amen? God's people are the church. So if I hear you call this building the church, or if I hear you say... I'm going to church. You will be corrected. All right? Okay. You, you can chuckle now and be offended later. <laughs> Someone purposely came and said that to me, uh, something to that effect, or called this, they called this the sanctuary. This is not the sanctuary. Your body is the sanctuary. Your soul is where God's spirit resides if you are a follower of Jesus. And they were giving me a hard time. Uh, so now I'm giving them a hard time with a microphone. So, uh, the church gathers at Huffman. Uh, Even though we are thankful for this space, the church gathers here on Sunday mornings. We use this throughout the week for other purposes, ultimately for God's kingdom. So let's enjoy this new resource that God has given us in order to expand the display of His glory. For 11 years, it's not been about a building, and even now, it's not about a building, it's about a Savior, It's about a treasure in heaven whose name is Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. I usually like to read through the passage at the very beginning, and then pray, and then work through that passage slowly, Um, but I do not have, uh, because of the length of this passage, I'm just going to read parts of it as we go. So I'd encourage you, again, keep your Bible in front of you, keep your phone open to the Bible uh, and nothing else. Uh, and so that you can listen as we walk along here. and But before we get started, let me pray. <clears throat> Dear Father, as we come before you this morning, as we have come before you in singing and in praying already, Father, as we come before you in hearing the word preached and preaching the word, Father, may our hearts be open by your spirit. May we be humble people anticipating to hear Your words to us this morning. Father, wherever we come from, whatever's happened this morning, whatever distractions have crossed our path this week, Father, may we be most consumed with Your Son Jesus, that we would treasure Him in everything we say and do, that our hearts would long for Him Father, we ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. As we talk about every Sunday, we are striving to be a people who treasure Jesus above all. We want to, and and another way to say that, is we want to know, love, and obey Him. If you want to consider, though, just how much you treasure something, you should ask this question. What if it didn't even exist? What if the thing that I say that I treasure didn't even exist? In that moment, what wells up in your soul, your heart? What thoughts come to mind at the thought of it not even existing? I think that's very telling of just how much you actually, truly treasure something. What if Jesus never existed in humanity as He did? Have you ever considered that thought? I want you to consider that thought this morning. What would be your response if There never was a Jesus come to earth. Think about these things with me. Without Christ, there is no way to God, no hope to overcome death, no life now. Nothing you do would have any meaning. It would all be pointless. All the suffering, no justice, no mercy. What is stirred in you at the thought of no Jesus come in the flesh? Do you ever live like Jesus never existed? Either living that way without hope, without life, or living maybe living seemingly just fine because it doesn't really matter to you. We desperately need Jesus. If you want to write down something, write that down. We desperately need Jesus. Let me give you a little bit of context here, both for those who this is your first time and for those who have been here for many weeks. Pastor Russ preached through chapter four last week, and in chapter four of Revelation, we get to see the throne room of heaven. Where John, who's the author of Revelation, is taken in order to see God the Father as He sits on His holy throne. And John is invited to heaven where he is going to be shown what is to come. And John just saw how God was to be worshipped. And what the aim of our worship should be. And now as we turn to Revelation chapter 5 we get to see what John sees next. In verse 1 he says this, Then I saw in the right hand of Him who was seated on the throne, God, right? A scroll written with and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? Now listen to the response. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. The first thing I want you to see and you can write down is this. No one worthy and the reality of hopelessness. No one worthy and the reality of hopelessness. Let me do my best to explain the scene here. John sees this holy, holy, holy God and Father on the throne, and in his right hand is a scroll. And the question is asked who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? And the emphatic answer is this. No one is worthy to approach the Father. No one is worthy to take the scroll from His hand. No one is worthy to break its seals and open it. And it's not just because you were not there yet. No majestic angel. Was worthy. Not one of the 24 elders around the throne was worthy, nor the four living creatures. No one is worthy. No one in heaven, he says, or on earth or under the earth. The point is, is that nowhere in the entire cosmos is anyone worthy to open the seals and see what is on the scroll. And John's response is this. He begins to weep loudly. Not just whimper. He begins to weep loudly. Why does John respond this way? Why is he weeping? Because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. No one. John wants so badly to know what's on the scroll. So much so that without it he is grieved to the point of weeping. So I think we have to ask the question, what is so important? What's John longing for that John isn't, is, is left hopeless and grieving about? Listen, if you read the rest of Revelation, what is going to happen is written on this scroll. And here's the deal. The one who opens the scroll is the one who will know, reveal, and execute what is written on that scroll. Think about that for a second. If the scroll is not opened, then the contents will never be known to us nor will they happen. And that's why John weeps. Let me paint this picture. If the scroll was to not be opened, Jesus would not be worshipped as worthy to open the scroll. Jesus would not be worshipped as the world's Redeemer. Those who have died and suffered because of the faith would not be avenged. The prayers of the saints would not be answered. God's appointed plan would not come to pass. The kingdom of the world would not become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. The wicked would not be judged. Jesus would not come back. God would not reign in glory in the new heavens and the new earth. And that is why John starts weeping. He knows that there is hope in that scroll. He knows that there is mercy and justice in that scroll. That there is vindication and that there is healing and redemption in that scroll. He knows that there is glory to be revealed to our eyes in that scroll. And in this moment, there is no one worthy. In short... All the promises of God don't come true. All hope is defeated unless there is someone worthy to open the scroll. And that's why John weeps. All hope is gone. Is there no one worthy? Is there no one who can go open it and reveal what's in, make it happen? Is there no one? There is no hope. John weeps. My question for us is this Would you weep too? Would you weep too? Would you be overwhelmed with the hopelessness of that moment? Would you be distraught like John? If not, I have a couple potential reasons. One is that it could be because that your hope is not in Christ like John's was. His hope was not in the Father and his plan through Jesus. That's where John's hope, but maybe yours isn't. Listen, that's part of the point of these seven letters. Is that these churches that we've examined thus far, that their hope was in all the things of the world and not in Christ. If they were present at this moment, the ones who are struggling in these churches to follow Christ and be faithful, if they were in this moment, they would not weep. But those who are striving to trust And by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in this moment, like John, they would have wept. But for us, maybe we wouldn't have wept or we would not weep because of things like our hope being placed in a career, a new building, maybe life without COVID, financial security, living where the grass is greener, influence, a better church or different leaders, control, perfection, the approval of other people. Maybe in this moment where the scroll could not be open, there would be no weeping because there would be no evidence of hope lost. Because the hope you're grabbing a hold of is still in your hand. But John wept because his hope was fully wrapped up in God's plan, and God's promises. Some of us whine, cry, grumble more about stupid things than we do at the thought of no one worthy to open the scroll. Listen, I'm chief at this. Just come visit the office sometime, okay? And listen... And just ask for the testimony of the other two staff elders and, and the other the lay elders when we gather as well. You can hear me cry and moan about some of the dumbest things. And in those moments, it is usually because I would not cry in that moment like John. Or maybe you don't cry, or you would not, sorry, don't cry, or that you would not weep in this way because you have lost hope. So one is because you've got hope in something else, and maybe the other is because you want to have hope, but you've lost hope. For some of you, this looks like laying in bed, not able to get up in the morning, or, or to get out from underneath the covers, you don't want to face the world. Or for others, it looks like grumbling and complaining and frustration and negativity. Listen, there's so much brokenness in our world. So much false teaching, so many preferences, driving the church in so many places and in so many ways is broken. There's a lot to be discouraged about. Christians fixated on all the wrong things and pride rampant in God's people. But for you, just as the first group, the resolution for your soul is very specific. Listen, sometimes I'm discouraged. Many times. I'll talk about that more in a bit. By what I see, and so are you. But listen to me. The resolution for your soul. The key to your hope is not in your earthly circumstances in things like eradicating a virus, having a space. It's not in the other person you're struggling with. It's not it being heard. The resolution is not in being cared for the way you prefer. It's not in a doctor, a pill, or another drug of your choice. The resolution for your soul is the same as it was for John. This is the same encouragement that you need. And you have to ask this question. Is this encouragement enough for me? That's another thought you can write down. Is this encouragement enough for me? Here is the resolution for John's soul. Look to Jesus. The only one worthy. The conquering Lamb. Look to Him. So when I ask the question, is, is this encouragement enough? I'm talking about for your soul. Is Jesus enough? Is the conquering Lamb enough? Is that resolution for you enough? As I was studying this, this morning, the this song was playing in the background. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And what's the next line? And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. How? In the light, in the brilliance of His glory and grace. Why would we not weep? Because we've not been impacted. Because we're too blinded by these other things. Instead of letting them fade into Dimness in the light of His glory and His grace. In verses 5-7 through seven it says this, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered so that He can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw, what? A lamb standing. As though it had been slain. With seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. One of the 24 elders looks at John and says, Stop weeping! He's not saying like, it's not okay for you to cry. What he's saying is that your hopelessness, stop! Why? Because Jesus is present, and Jesus is conquered, and Jesus is worthy to open the seals. To break the seals and open the scroll. Jesus gives hope. Jesus wipes away tears. Jesus is mighty to save. And in this moment, we see clearly Jesus lives. Who is this conquering lamb? He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the root of David and you can study that on your own time, but basically these are Old Testament promises that John was afraid were not going to come to pass. But Jesus has conquered. He can open the scroll and it's seven seals. Because He has conquered, He can make known the end of history and He can make all of God's promises come true. Notice how John is encouraged. He's not encouraged by saying something like, everything's going to be okay, John. Or, you know, it's really not that bad. Instead, he uses the language of the Scriptures to encourage John. He announces, weep no more. The slain lamb has conquered. And he is here to carry out all of God's promises. Every last one. Does that change anything for you? If we just pause for a moment and think, does that change anything for me? A couple related thoughts here. The first one is this we should look to Jesus when we are discouraged. We should look to Jesus when we are discouraged. There is so much to be discouraged about in this world. If, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you've got your head in the sand. There is much to be discouraged about in your own life and in mine. Things that come from my hands, my mouth, my soul. Listen, walking with Jesus is hard. Bearing a cross for others is painful. And most mornings, often, if I'm being honest, I wake up pretty discouraged. Discouraged. And if I don't wake up struggling with discouragement, I know I'm going to face it in the first couple hours of my day. Someone's going to send me a stupid message. Someone's going to experience pain and I'm going to have to bear it with them. I'm going to sin and have to cry out for God's mercy. Because I have to get up every single mourning with that reality and go to Jesus intentionally for encouragement. In a sense, my soul wakes up weeping as if there is no hope. I have to read my Bible. I have to write my prayers. I have to sing songs of praise and be reminded that there is someone worthy to break the seals and open the scroll. Where do you look first for encouragement? Where does your mind go to by default without prompting? Does it go to your personality chart? Does it go to blaming others? To complaining? To a bottle? Food? Or to your pastors to fix it? Where does your mind go to as long as there's Jesus, church, There's hope. Look to Him first. Second thought, related thought, is that we should encourage others with the power and the greatness of Jesus. We should encourage others to look to Him first. So ask this question What do you encourage others to look to? With your words. With your actions, what do you encourage others to look to? Now we have to be careful. Some of us are very quick to offer trite and empty expressions of, well, just look to Jesus. Wow, well, you know, just, just look to Him. I'll be praying for you. Sometimes you might need to listen first. Sometimes it might be helpful if your life actually modeled the same thing. Let me encourage you, DNA, that's our one-on-two discipleship, and DOXA, which is kind of the phase two. And Do you understand that that's what DNA is about? It's about encouraging each other to look to the power and the greatness of Jesus. DNA is not something about information to be had. It's about a life to be lived. It's about encouraging others with the power and greatness of Jesus, as I said. We should encourage others to go to Him first. Now back to the scene, back to the throne room. He tells him to not or to stop weeping, that there is hope. The throne room now visibly has a conquering lamb. We were told that he conquered. Now we're told how he conquered. He says this words in there. I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. And so there in the middle of the room, God the Father holding the scroll, and now there's a lamb who had been slain who now stands. As someone said that I read this week, dead things don't stand. That's the point. It's to draw our attention that it's a paradox that this shouldn't be the case. That this is reverse. This is the opposite of how we think greatness and power happens. He has, it's, he's described here as having seven horns, seven eyes, and seven spirits. That's a face to look into and behold, right? Now, I don't think he's being literal. I think the, the point here is the picture that's being painted. The idea of seven means fullness. So here's what he means. He has all power fully. That's the idea of these horns, is that it's militaristic might. That he has the Spirit fully. That the Spirit of God is fully in him. And that these eyes, that he sees all fully. This lamb who had been slain stands with The fullness of power, the fullness of the Spirit, and the fullness of knowing. Do you understand the picture here? No one is thinking about a cute little barnyard pet at this moment. Those who have been reading John, he's not thinking of Mary had a little lamb. Lambs get slaughtered, and their blood gets poured Lambs get killed as substitutes. Jesus was slaughtered as a sacrifice. Jesus was slaughtered as a substitute. One who would die in the place of others. This is part of the great paradox of this moment. Satan thought that he had defeated Jesus as he hung on the cross and went to the grave. But now the sacrificial lamb stands with all power, full of the Spirit, and sees all things fully. He stands because he's victorious. Because he defeated the grave. And Jesus has the victory. That's his point. So I think we ask the question, is the victory yours? Is that same victory yours? You and I are not worthy to stand before God, let alone walk up and secure the scroll that holds our destiny. That holds the future of human events. You and I need the victory of the conquering Lamb, the righteous life, the wrath-absorbing death, and the death-defeating resurrection of Jesus. You and I need that victory. And we're told that that victory is ours by faith. By humbly believing in our desperate need for the Lamb who was slain, who now stands. Who is worthy to break the seal and open the scroll. Look back at this scene. In verse 7 he says this. God who is thrice holy, sitting on his throne. Is there anyone worthy? No. John weeps, but John weep no more. And I saw a lamb standing, and look at this. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. He walks up to the throne of God and he grabs the the scroll from his hand and he walks away with the scroll in his hands. The scroll that holds our future, all hope. As someone said, what breathtaking audacity. No one is worthy. And yet Jesus marches right up to the Father, seated on the throne, surrounded by magnificent creatures being declared as holy, holy, holy. And He takes the scroll, the crucified, dead, buried, raised, now assertively takes the reins of history. That's the picture that's happening here. All that hopefulness for the future and, and the outworking of God's promises and the securing of those for God's people. that This symbolizes, he walks up, he grabs the scroll, and John knows in this moment, this is now secure. It will happen. It will happen. Now notice this picture. Listen, all the wrongs will be set right. All injustices accounted for. All crimes avenged. All plans for God's glory to be revealed will happen. It's now secure in the hands of Jesus. He's the one that will make it happen. That's God's, the Father's plan. But notice also in this picture, the 24 elders don't stand in His way. The four living creatures don't reject. And the Father doesn't resist Him. Again, this symbolic act shows that Jesus is taking control of history. Notice the Father's silent approval of all of this worship being given to Jesus in this moment. Right? We just talked about last week, all worship due to God, right? And what just God say? Hey, hang on a second. Make sure you give me your worship, and then Jesus can have whatever's left over. What's He do? There's a silent approval. Listen, this is the one who we're told who gives no, who gives glory to no other. And while He sits on His throne, the heavenly host turns their eyes in praise toward. Jesus, wow! What, what's what's being what's being signaled here? That the conquering lamb is God Himself. The conquering lamb is God Himself. That God Himself. Went to the cross, was slain for his people. He did all the work necessary for you and for me to be right with God himself. John could not be any clearer. Jesus has taken control of history. And now we get to see the appropriate response. The only worthy response to the conquering Lamb is this. It's worship. In the morning when you arise, it's worship. In the moment of great frustration it's worship. In the moment of great sorrow and pain, it's worship. Why? Because regardless of your circumstance, the reality in heaven as we see here is still true. It's still true. Nothing that happens to you tomorrow, nothing that's happened to you thus far in your entire life changes the reality of this picture. Nothing. That doesn't mean it wasn't hurtful, it wasn't painful, it doesn't mean it didn't have a purpose. Indeed, and in, this means it has all the purpose that God intends for it. And that it will happen as God has planned for it. That, that the hopefulness is there. But the only response, the only worthy response to the conquering Lamb is worship. Look at verse 8-14 through 14 with me. And when He had taken the scroll the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, and people, and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. That's heavy. Just when you thought the worship scene couldn't get any better from chapter 4, someone said this, the appearance of the Lamb standing as though slain with seven horns of military might and seven eyes of all-knowing wisdom renews and refreshes the heavenly song. It he goes on. And on. The four living creatures and the 24 elders have their instruments and bowls of incense which they use to praise Jesus. And they worshiped Jesus saying that He is worthy. Jesus is worthy precisely because of what He has accomplished by His death and resurrection. It's what we see in verse 9. You were slain, and by Your blood You ransomed the people for God. Jesus pays a ransom for His people. He doesn't pay no price to Satan. He owes Satan nothing. But the picture is that He is setting us free from a bondage to sin. A ransom because of our bondage to sin and the punishment we deserve. John paints this picture of these people that are ransomed in this moment. And the picture is that they're from everywhere. From everywhere. Every part of the earth. He says every tribe, language, people, and nation. Do you understand that the idea of four in the Bible stands for the whole? The whole world. That's why he uses four descriptors here. Jesus has ransomed people from everywhere. There is no special nation. There is no special ethnic group. Not even the Jews. There is no special social or economic class. The only special class is those redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And he has ransomed these people to be, he says, a kingdom and priest to our God. Wow. You understand that God put Adam and Eve in the garden, told them to rule over the earth and exercise dominion. What's that mean? It means they were to take... The glory of God is represented in them as image bearers and displayed on the earth. And they were to expand the, so that the, the boundaries of Eden so that the rest of the world, by both the expansion of Eden and the multiplication of image bearers, that God's glory would fill the earth, that they would be this kingdom and priests to God. But they failed. They were cast from the garden. Then later, Israel is given the same task. To be a kingdom of priests. But they too were thrown out of the land as a result of their disobedience. Israel doesn't deserve the land. Jesus is true Israel. Jesus is the true and better Adam. Because Jesus succeeded where they both Failed. Jesus brought the kingdom wherever He went. Jesus was the perfect priest. And we see here that this same Jesus is making us into His kingdom and His priests. Do you walk as a kingdom and priests unto God? We spend so much time like, what is my calling in life? What is my purpose in life? And what am I to do with my time? You're to be a kingdom and priest unto God. When you're done exhausting what that means, then you can worry about what career or where I need to live and all those things. Your calling is to be a priest to each other, a kingdom to each other, of kingdom of God to each other, ultimately unto God. What does it mean to be priest to each other? It means you to mediate the good news of Jesus to each other. You're not the one that, that, that uh, the gospel the people have to come through you to get Jesus. No it's, that's not that, but that you remind people of the gospel. That you take the gospel to them. The gospel of this glorious Christ who is the conquering Lamb. The last thing I want you to see is that in heavenly worship, you and I are not alone. It's a sub-point of the last point. But in heavenly worship, we are not alone. after John recounts the song, right, this, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive all power and glory and might. Up until this point, it's been the elders, the four living creatures, and a strong angel. And now it's a vast host of angels. Myriad of myriad, here's the picture. Ten thousands upon ten thousands. They're proclaiming, worthy is the land, and he is worthy of all honor. Listen, the, the list includes seven items. That's the point. This, this idea of perfection, power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. I'm sure that in his present life that John felt weak and alone. He felt like no one was mourning the same things he was mourning or that his fledgling church was all alone in the vast Roman empire. And to him that was that was reality just as he could see it but then what happens is God takes him into the heavenly throne room and expands what he sees. Ah, there's more than what I can just see around me. There's more happening. John sees reality before God. Those who worship Jesus are a part of this vast multitude. When we sing, now we're a part of this vast multitude. Multitude. When we offer up prayers now, they're being offered as incense unto the Lord. Now, we're not alone as we do this, no matter what our circumstances say to us. This image has got to be ingrained into our minds. You and I are indeed sojourners in this world, and we are indeed going to feel alone. You should. If your eyes are just horizontal. If you have no picture of this heavenly scene. That's the point. It's to push our eyes upward. It's John, as Jesus puts his hand on his shoulder. It's the, 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 the one who says to him, weep no more. There is one who is worthy. Worthy. There are ten thousands upon ten thousands worshiping the conquering Lamb. And he says here at the end, when all this is done, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever, it says this, and the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Jesus in this moment has taken control of history and everyone bursts out into worship. What does the control that Jesus displays here do to your worship? John could be in no better place than right here. Before the throne of God, Jesus walks up, takes the scroll. There's no better place to be. You understand, there's no better place to be. It's not, I just need to get out of my circumstance. I just need things to change. I just need to, this person would do this or whatever. This is true no matter what else is happening. And there is no better place to be. What if Jesus didn't exist? What if He had not come to earth to be our righteousness, to die the death that we deserved, and to conquer the grave so that we might escape the pains of death? Do you realize that you and I so desperately need Jesus? The conquering lamb. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That regardless of what our frail, weak, hurting, distracted eyes are laying hold of right now, that it changes not the reality. Of our God who came as a man to live the perfect life that we could not live. To die the death that we deserved and to raise to new life, defeating death. That we might one day be able to live in your presence as your blood-bought, washed, clean, sinning sinners who have been adopted into your family. Father, as we as we continue to sing, may we look at this scene in this throne room and ask the question: Would we weep too at the thought of there not being Jesus? Would we weep too, for He is worthy of our worship, for He is worthy to take the scroll, to break the seals, to read what's on it, to make it known and to make it happen. Let our hope be only bound up and fully bound up in Jesus, the conquering Lamb. Amen.